Good morning again to all of you. Good morning. I done lost you in between the song and me getting up here. <laughs> One hand, two hand, yeah, okay. Anybody who struggle with that on a regular basis? The flesh and the spirit. It's not easy. Constant, yeah. It's, there is a battle that is constantly being waged. I feel it, you feel it, and we probably feel it in different spots in our lives. But we all go through the same struggles, or similar struggles, and, and we all are tempted by things, and we end up doing what we don't want to do, when what we should be doing, we should want to do, yet I don't do. Paul talks about that struggle, you can read that struggle over and over again throughout the entire Bible. You see mankind doing what they shouldn't be doing, even when they know what they should do. We still end up doing what we shouldn't be doing. And I'm not going to give you a solution to that this morning, because the solution is Jesus Christ. He's already been given. The problem is that I don't live a perfect life. I need Jesus Christ to forgive me of the times when I do what I say I shouldn't, or do what I do when I... Never mind, you know what I mean. Do what I don't. I don't know why I tried that again. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I need Him. So the solution is Jesus Christ, Period. Now, again, knowing that and then living it out, two different things. So I'm going to give you three things here that we're going to talk about. We're going to end up singing that same medley that Art started with. Because I think that medley medley focused my mind this morning. I liked what you picked, Art. I know that's a medley that you didn't put together, but it's still, you picked it. It was good. And, and when I heard it, I'm thinking, that's, that's that train of thought I want to have too. So we're going to end with that. And when we get to there, I want you to pay attention to the words that you're singing again. I know you did this morning, I'm sure. But again, after we talk about self-control here, when we're singing those three songs again, think about those words that we're saying that are coming out of our mouth here. My first point here this morning is the solution to the struggle with our sinful nature is, what would you fill in that blank with? I know what I've got mine filled in with, and it's the right answer here. What would you say? Jesus. A Jesus, a God-controlled life. That's the solution to my sinful nature. A Jesus-controlled life. But, like I've already said, how easy is it for you to get up and say, okay, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior this morning, I'm following you. And then, boom, you make a mistake. The potential to be controlled by my sinful nature is extremely real and dangerous. Would you say it's real for you? That potential is always out there. I get up every morning with that same struggle. Who am I following today? Who am I making the Lord of my life? I want to read you a little story that I, that I found kind of in regards to that. It was a grandfather talking to his grandson. He said, there's two wolves living inside of my, my heart. And they're at war with each other. One is vicious and one is cruel. And the other one is kind and wise. And the grandson asks, which one is going to win? What do you think the grandfather told him? The one you feed. You've heard the story before, or you know it. Yeah. It's been around, right? That's not nothing new. The one you feed. The one you feed is going to win. And that makes perfect sense, right? My grandmother would tell me all the time, garbage in, garbage out. What I feed is going to come out of me. What did Jesus say comes out of our, our mouths? What's in the, the heart? It's what I feed that's going to 
dictate where I go in my life. It's going to dictate which wolf wins inside of me. The, the one that's cruel or the one that's wise. The one that's kind or the one that's going to be vicious. Go over to Romans chapter 6. And I want to, from the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 there, there's some important points that Paul brings out in Romans 6 that only helps us understand, I think, Jesus better and understand how once we're in Him, we live. Romans 6, 11 through 14 is, is the verses that we're going to look at right this second here. We're going to be back in this before the end of this lesson, but look at 11 through 14. After he's reminded them of who they are in Christ, how they got there, and, and the fact that sin no longer rules their life, he says in 11, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And I know I've pointed it out before. I, I like the, the words that Paul uses there in verse 13. The instruments. Don't present your instruments, your members, as weapons. Instruments. Mine translates it instruments, but it's weapons. My members as weapons of righteousness or weapons of, of, of evil. Again, it's, it's which one do I feed? Do I feed my members? Do I use my weapons for righteousness or do I use my weapons to Feed that wrong wolf here. What kind of a cross, what kind of a life do I have? And in Galatians 2.20, what kind of a, a life does Paul say, this is you, this is your shaped life? If you were to answer my question here, after I read verse 20 of chapter 2, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. What kind of a shaped life do you lead? What's the shape of your life? You probably don't know where I'm going there, but crucified. Okay, so it's a it's a crucified life. It's a cross shaped life. What kind of a life is my life being shaped by? Is my life being shaped by the cross, or is my life being shaped by the world? What kind of shape does my life take? If my life takes a cross-shaped life, then I'm going to be echoing the sentiments that Paul says in 20 because I've been crucified with him, right? I've been crucified. I'm supposed to have been crucified with him. I have a cross-shaped life. I really have a Jesus-shaped life because I need to look more and more like him each day. But I need to start with that crucifixion. I need to get, I need to get crucified. I need to have those sins washed away and then I am buried with him in baptism there. And my sins are washed away and I am risen to that new life in Christ. I look more and more like him each day. So my cross shaped life turns into a Jesus shaped life. Amen. And that's how we get back to Romans 6 when he says, so because you live a cross shaped life, because you look more like Christ here, because you've been immersed with him, you become one with him, and now you've been risen with him, and you're going to look more and more like him each day, then verse 11 comes into play in my life. I consider myself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is where I think Paul's, the duality of sin here that Paul deals with here, because when we're immersed into Christ, we have our sins washed away, right? Amen. We're clean. In fact, if, if, I die once I come up out of the waters, boom, better for me. 
because then there's no more temptation, there's no more nothing. I just go straight. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. But I'm not done because I didn't die coming up out of the waters. Good or bad, that's just the way it is. So now this duality of sin comes into play. I am sin, I have been freed from my sin, and yet I am going to struggle with sin. Even though I've been freed from sin, I'm still struggling with sin. And I think Paul recognizes that, that dual nature here. You have been freed, but at the same time, you are now struggling with that which you've been freed from. Because it wants you back. Because it wants to take hold of your life again. But you have to remember, you are dead to sin, and now you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that begins that sanctification process. You've been justified, but now begins sanctification. This is a lifelong process for you and me. Over and over again, I get to struggle with the same thing. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And listen to Paul himself as he struggles with that that process and even struggles with his ministry, struggles with the big, I don't want to disqualify me. I want to make it. He says in 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So how do you run? What does he say? How do you run? In such a way that you may obtain it. Yeah, that you may obtain it, that you may win, right? We are all in this right, right here and now engaged in a race. Amen. Sue is going to win her race. I'm going to win my race. And I'm not competing against Sue and I'm not competing against Jeff or anybody else here. You know who I'm competing against? That's yeah, basically me. My sinful nature that wants to go back to the other, the other life that I led, left. That, that struggle that he talks about in Ephesians 2. You were this, but now you're this. The people that, that, that Bill brought up in class this morning in 1 Corinthians 6. You used to be these people. You used to be homosexual, adulterers, all of these things. You used to be idolaters, all these things. But now you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. You're different people now. And that's what he's saying here. You're going to run this race, and you don't just run it to come in second place. You run to win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control. Exercise self-control in what? What does he say? Exercise self-control in all things. Look at the, the, the encompassing nature of all things. You exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I boxed in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly I, after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Boy, look at that. You are running a race. You are being, you're exercising self-control in all of things because you're not just going to get that laurel wreath around your head here that's going to just fall apart. You're going to get an imperishable wreath. You're going to get an imperishable crown. You're going to get something far better than what the people on this earth get. The NFL gets those those nice big rings for the Super Bowl. And mo- well, yeah, money. Okay, money. Let's not forget money. <laughs> and money goes away just as fast as those rings probably do. Maybe faster, who knows. What does the NBA get? What is that called? I don't follow basketball. Is it, do they get a ring too? They don't get a ring? They do get a ring? Does anybody know for real whether they get a ring or not get a ring? They do get a ring. 
Okay, and money. Okay, yes, let's not forget money. And money. All right. Hockey, uh, that's that, that, that big old trophy thing, right? Stanley Cup. Thank you. Okay, did they get a ring? <laughs> no. Does everybody get a ring? I didn't even get a high school ring. I don't... But anyway, it's, it's going to be gone, isn't it? But they do it and, and they, they, they buffet their bodies. They do the very best they can because they want to win. Are we any different? Paul says, no, we're not any different. We, we've got a different prize that we're striving for, but we are doing the same self-control in all things. Why? Because we're different people now. We're running a race. And God is on the sideline pulling for us. He's got His Holy Spirit helping us and Jesus helping us. And He's over there he's cheering us on saying, you can do it, you can do it. Amen. And I'm running my race. So that, that first point is that the solution to my struggle with my flesh is that I need to live, live a God-centered life, a Jesus-centered life, period. If I move out of that little little area and I, I make me the center, I'm going to do exactly what I used to do, put myself first. I'm going to forget that I have been crucified and I'm going to start living for me rather than for Him. The second thing I want you to, to consider is that the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us, and that's that part of the fruit of the Spirit. He is working that fruit in us, and He's working that fruit in us to help us accept the control that we now are giving to God and letting Him take over our lives. So the Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us to accept and be controlled, to be led by the Spirit. And that's where I think in Ephesians, I'm going to use an, another scripture to illustrate the what, what I think is happening, partially how I think Galatians 5 is happening, because it's still the way God works in me and through me and with the Spirit and all of that is still a mystery to me in a lot of ways. But I know he's he's asking me to let him work on me and through me, and he needs my cooperation in that. In verse 18 and 19, Paul in Ephesians 5, he tells the, 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 the people there, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Then he goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's, I think in 18, the, the, what, he's, what he's driving at is to be constantly filled with the Spirit. I am filled with the Spirit. When I'm immersed into Him, I believe I get His Spirit. He puts His Spirit in me. But He's also saying in 5.18 here, to be filled with the Spirit. So there is a, a continual process of being filled with this Spirit and me working with God where God is filling me and the Spirit is filling me and working in me and through me. And that I don't completely understand because I think that's that's His business to understand how He's doing that. It's my business to say, okay, you're doing that. Let me work with you. I don't completely understand how you're doing that, but I believe what you say that you're doing that. So I'm letting myself and, and working with God. This one-two punch type thing. I am working with Him, and He's working in me and through me, but it has to be a partnership here together. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the same thing that's partnership. Actually, 12, 1 through 4 is where you're working with God, and, and He's helping you discover His will for you and this is a partnership between you and God. So having that partnership between me and the Holy Spirit and, and allowing Him to enable me and empower me to be led by Him is another cho- choice I get to make every day. Do I let myself be led by the Spirit today? Am I going to let myself let go of what I want and be led by Him today? 
I want to read you another little story. Maybe you know the end of this one, too. This one is called the Cheeseburger Bill. Has anybody heard of the Cheeseburger Bill? No? It's, it's some, it does sound good right now. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody get that lady a cheeseburger. She's hungry. It's, it's actually a bill pa- passed by the House of Representatives, surprisingly enough. Yeah, really. March 10th, 2014. Anybody remember that date? That's when the cheeseburger bill passed. <laughs> Government always doing its best for us. And you know, Anyway, this bill does make sense in some way, especially with the way we are today as human beings. Listen to this bill. The bill is designed to protect the fast food industry from potential lawsuits filed by overweight customers. Now, right on the surface, that sounds like, okay, that's kind of stupid, right? People shouldn't be filing lawsuits anyway for that, maybe. But listen to this. Caesar Rhymes, a 15-year-old high school student, joined his mother in blaming fast food restaurants for his obesity. Rhymes' mother stood before a judge and stated that she always believed McDonald's food was healthy for her son. At the point where they were arguing this case, her son weighed 400 pounds. 15-year-old at 400 pounds. So the reason they, they did this bill is to stop lawsuits that they thought were frivolous. James uh, Sensenbrenner, the representative at the time, said, this is what he said about the bill. He says, don't run off and file a lawsuit if you're fat. Look in the mirror because you're the one to blame. Now, that may not always be the case, but a lot of times it is the case that I am the one to blame. I'm the one that put myself in that position. I'm the one that ate those hamburgers day in and day out. They're not good for me. I have them every once in a while. I'll be honest with you. I kind of like the taste of them. So I do eat them every once in a while. But, I mean, look at this this trim body. I mean, I can do it. Come on. But if but if it keeps getting me, if, if I have health problems, if something is, then I need to take care of me. I need to be smart enough to say, you know, that's not good for me. I need to stop doing that. And this cheeseburger bill here is to help the the people, I guess, that aren't smart enough to stop on their own and then blame somebody else. You've probably met people like that. Who it's, it's your fault. The devil made me do it. Well, no, you have a choice. You need to exercise your choice. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Here's where allowing ourselves to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit and let that fruit, Him work in us and through us and, and produce that fruit in us. I'm making a choice to say, I'm giving my life to you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I'm not going to blame it on you. I'm not going to go through my life thinking, oh, I'm doing everything okay, and then say, wait, it's your fault or it's somebody else's fault. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. When I'm led by the Spirit, this is the kind of, uh, I think of this as, as kind of my, my marching orders when I'm out there in the world, Right? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And who do we fix our eyes on, church? Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And why do we follow him? Because of what he's already done there. He's set down, he's, 
He's endured the cross. He's despised the shame. And he's sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Paul's, or excuse me, the Hebrew writer now says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Amen. So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And then he reminds us, you haven't even yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You may get to that point, but you haven't even got to that point yet. I haven't got to that point yet. This is my marching orders here to remind myself that I have this great cloud of witnesses behind me. And where am I fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith? Amen. Who's already gone ahead, who's already blazed the trail for me, and all I have to do is follow him. But that's going to be my choice, isn't it? There's that self-control. Who's who, who's ruling your life? Who is guiding you in your walk? If it's Jesus, if I got my eyes fixed on him, then I'm not fixing my eyes on me. And I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to empower me and enable me to produce that fruit. And when I'm doing that, I look more like Jesus Christ. Amen. The third thing I want to say is that the result of that is, who do we look like, church? Jesus. Jesus. And that's been the pretty much the result of each and every one of these. The result of, of most of the sermons is, who do we need to look like? Jesus. What do we need to, who do we need to act like? Jesus. Who do we need to think like? Jesus. It's, it's all about Jesus. We've been justified and now we're being sanctified. Go over to the first Thessalonians chapter four and look at Paul's, uh, warning to live a, a life that pleases God in the first eight verses here of that chapter. He's exhorting the people there to live like they are a part of God, are a part of Christ. Live like you have the Spirit in you, which you do. He says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. So he's saying you do, but let's, let's, let's kick it up a notch too. You do walk this way. In verse 10, he reiterates that again. You do do this, but let's do it even more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess, possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgresses and defrauds his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Amen. Sanctification. Pursue that sanctification. Yes, you do do it, but do it all the more. Make the choice to have the self-control to live a life that says, I am being controlled and led by the Spirit. Now, that is the Spirit working in me, but it's also a conscious choice by me to wake up every morning and say, I will be led by God. I will be led by His Spirit. I will not dishonor this or do this. I will walk this way. Now, go back to Romans 6.11. I told you we we're going to go back there for a second, and, and this is where we're going back there. And Paul's exhortation to them to, if you've been buried with him, if you've had your sins washed away, and you're not living in sin anymore, this is how you live, in verse 11. 
Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We read down to verse 14. I want to pick up in verse 15 and go to the, uh, let's see, verse 19, I think. So he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And what's his answer? No. Yeah, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God, you were slaves, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. There again, Paul says, you have a choice. You've been washed. You've been justified. You've had your sins washed away. But, hey, you still have a choice here. Who are you going to present yourselves to? You could present yourselves to this. Lawlessness. And what does that result in? Further lawlessness. Or you could present yourselves to righteousness, resulting in your sanctification, that that ongoing process and that sphere of holiness that God is calling you to. You can do it this way. And I think in, in this, I think I've given you these three before, but... I think Paul, from verses 13 through 19, is really saying, you have three ways here to offer yourself. There's three things that I do every day, or that we should do every day as Christians. The first thing is you offer yourself consciously. It means we make a choice. It's not like my heart muscle that keeps pumping no matter what. This is a conscious choice. So Paul is saying, especially in verse 13, you need to consciously present your members Your weapons, use them for righteousness, not for lawlessness. So consciously, I do this every day. The second thing is continually, I do this every day. That all thing that we've we've talked about, in all things, like the the sport athlete, he he exercises self-control in all things. So continually, it's not just in, you know, separate times of the day, like today, when we come here and we're all goody two-shoes together. And there's no problems here because we're all Christians and we all have the brave face on. But it's actually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the continually of the conscious choice. So there's a conscious choice I make that is continually exercised every single day in every situation. But then it's also comprehensive, which means I get to make my list. I think Paul is saying to them too, make your list here. What do you struggle with? You know what you struggle with. You know where your weak areas are. You know where you have to exercise more self-control than the other guy? Make your list, Paul says, and, and then make sure you're, you're looking at that list and, and you recognize when you're approaching those things on your list that I need to consciously and continually make a choice to stay away from that or to move from this. So it's consciously, it's continually, and it's comprehensively something that the Christian does every single day while we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, who's doing the same thing in us and through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit here. As I, and I think, if you go over to Second Peter chapter 1, this self-control is in Peter's list as well. As he's saying, I want you to apply these things. I want you to add these things in your faith here. In verse 5, he starts that list. And in verse 6 is where you get to the self-control. But he says... 
For this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So Peter is also saying, hey, you get to exercise this self-control. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to be working and empowering us in that area, but at the same time, I get to choose. You and I get to say, I will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I will put you first. I will do this. Now, here's where that, that, those three songs that Art led really came in for me. Thinking about this lesson and hearing those three songs really drove the point home for me. So this is the point where we're going to sing those three songs. I'll, I'll sit down so we can concentrate on the words and, and you can concentrate on those three songs. But I want you to, to think about that as we think about self-control and the Holy Spirit working in us and through us in the self-control, but then us as well, working with Him hand in hand and offering ourselves consciously, continually, and comprehensively to Him because that's the only way that I can achieve that self-control that is going to lead to this righteousness and further righteousness in my sanctification. So let's do that as we as we go through these these three songs. Father, take my life, and Father, make my life closer to Show me how you care for me. You always want me to be close to you. I worship you in spirit. 
worship you in truth. Make my life a holy praise unto you. On bended knee I come, with a broken heart I come, bowing down before your holy throne. As I look upon your face, Show your mercy and your grace. Change my life, O Holy Spirit. Make me fresh and ever new. Make my life a holy sacrifice to you. And because of that, Father, take my life, and Father, make my life closer to you love me, please show me how you care for me, you always want me to be close to you. Salvation through Jesus Christ is the only way to allow God's Holy Spirit to grow in us and to bless us. Only when we freely admit that we cannot maintain a lasting self-control on our own will we be able to tap into the fruit of the Spirit. Will He be able to work through us and on us? We ask God to replace our feeble efforts with His perfect control. True self-control is only possible through the Spirit's control of our lives. Through the blood of Jesus and our obedience to His gospel, we are justified and made righteous. And self-control is man's response to God's righteousness of God. How do I respond to the righteousness that He has afforded me? How do I respond to His great gift of Jesus Christ? Self-control. By saying, I will give my life to you. By living soberly, by living righteously and godly in this world. That's why my self-control leads me and should lead every Christian to offer themselves consciously, continually, and comprehensively to Him each day. And when we do that, we will look more like Jesus. When we do that, His Spirit is going to be producing in us and through us more and more that fruit. Amen. And all of those things will be ours. And against such things there is no what? Law. Who could be against those things? 
All of that stuff that God is trying to produce through us and in us starts with Him choosing us and then us choosing Him. Choose Him this week. Choose Him the rest of your life to offer yourself consciously, continually, and comprehensively to Him each and every day and live a life of self-control, guided by and led by His Spirit today. Do that. Do that this week. And if you have some need or concern this morning or want some prayers to do that, need some some prayers in some areas that you're struggling with, we're always able to, to pray with you. Whether you want to come down in front and talk about it or talk about it privately, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray with you and for you about that because I know we all struggle in some way, shape, or form with offering ourselves to God each and every day. But I pray that we do that this week and the rest of our lives as Christians so that he can produce in us his fruit and we can produce for him the fruit that he wants us to produce. Let's do that this week as we stand and as we sing this song.